You've tuned into the Bellingham Podcast for the month of January 2023. This is episode 220. From that still frosty by the Salish Sea, city by the Salish Sea, I am AJ Barsay. And straight out of 9226, not messing up my intro, I am Chris Powell on this episode. You know, AJ and I have been feeling a little besmirched, a little marginalized, a little uh, downtrodden. And the only word that I could describe on our collective minds right now is revenge. That's right. We're going to start a little bit of a mini series and it could be a maxi series depending on how many episodes we do in the future. But for this one, number 220, we're going to talk about the revenge of analog. In this case, we're talking about games. Won't you join us? Ready Player One. This is the Bellingham Podcast. Ah, uh, Chris, but revenge is best served cold. How are you doing, Chris? I'm pretty darn hot. At least that's what my <laughs> wife says uh, uh, every now and then. Uh, how about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to this this series we're doing on on the analog. Yes, the analog. It, it all the, the whole genesis, if uh, if you will, a uh, dear listener, occurred uh, when I had a little bit of a uh, Christmas that occurred recently, and my man AJ blessed me with a book called The Revenge of Analog: Real Things and Why They Matter by a fellow by the name of David Sachs. And this was a very compelling read. Uh, this was my book that I was going to read in the month of January. Mm-hmm. Uh, check in on previous episodes, maybe in December. But David Sachs in this book, Revenge of Analog, talks about the revenge of vinyl as opposed to digital streaming services, uh, the revenge of print, the, event, the revenge of retail. Can't wait to Ooh. talk about that one. Ooh. But in this case, AJ and I are following in his massive footsteps because he's a best-selling author right now uh, in Chapter 4, The Revenge of Board Games. Yeah. And so what we want to do is kind of take a look at that and have a little bit of a Bellingham tip a Bellingham focus, a Bellingham slant, if you will. Uh, <laughs> hit it, Yahtzee. <laughs> Yahtzee. Uh, we got in their show notes. I, I got to jump in. We, we have our show notes. And of course, AJ you know, normally does his thing about being the geek and the gamer. But you put the cribbage master in yes. me. And I'm like, okay, that's sweet. But you know what? I have a hidden talent. What is your hidden talent? Back when I was growing up and I had no social life and I didn't have any girlfriends because I just had no game. The only games I played were with my father, God rest his soul. And we played chess and checkers. And yeah. uh, we played uh, a game called Double Solitaire. Huh. Have you ever played Double Solitaire? No. Double Solitaire is a card game, naturally, where you would have a card table or something like that, and you're facing off from your opponent, and you both play standard solitaire. Okay. And what happens is when you have an ace and you put that in the center, your opponent can also, if they have the two, can play on your uh, suited huh. card. And so, therefore... Double decks or just one? one well, each, each person has one deck. Okay, okay. Yeah. And so, therefore, you can play on your opponent's th- foundations as you're going as you're building up. And when when I was younger, I got very frustrated because my dad was very quick, mm-hmm. and he would just keep playing and playing. And as you play solitaire, you start to see the patterns, and you start to go bang, bang, bang. And I'm like, stop! And I, you know, but eventually, I got good at it, and <laughs> I learned how to be able to pick the card up so that I'm not trying to grip it and you know, lose it and stuff like that. So bang, 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 bang. <laughs> <laughs> and so, therefore, my dad, I can sense, was getting frustrated when I was in my late teens. Ah. So, I am a double solitaire extraordinaire. Thank you very much. Ooh, double. I like that. That's uh, cool. Of course you do. Anyway, let's talk about gaming. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so, from my side of this, part of this whole, uh, so, plugging into Revenge of Analog, my wife loves board games. Like, she just grew up with board games, and she kept playing them, and her family and friends of the family are big into board games. You would go over to this predominant friend of their family, and they have a closet 
from ceiling to floor stacked in board games. Kind of like how I used to have ceiling to floor with compact disc jewel oh, cases. Very similar, very yep. similar. But and these are well-loved games. Like this they're not just uh closet litter type of games where it's parcheesy and uh the traditional monopolies. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. There's yeah. not like eight different well there could have been, but there's not eight different versions of just monopoly. There's other tabletop games like the story I call them like story-based games where okay. like the the cover of these uh these boxes of board games one are very expensive they're more than your melton bradley 1995 at target but they're a lot more mechanics to it and so i now kind of gotten board games away from the oh here i'm going to roll some dice and move a piece and who cares there's more of a story to like a lot more strategy and and more strategy but here was the other thing i'm not a big strategy game type of person i'm not gonna i'm not a person that wants to sit down and reenact world war ii via the game risk and like plot how my axis is going to go against the allies that's not my thing either that for me that's boring to board games i really came to board games thinking they're really boring Hmm. and look what your beautiful wife was able to uh move the needle and much like it's what, what really reframed it for me is it's just like when you go to the library and you go up to the librarian you're like hey i love action adventure but i'm not into military type of stuff i want like action adventure dirk pitt type of stuff but without all the military stuff and the librarian goes oh well what you're looking for actually is this nick sullivan where he talks about diving and see previous episodes chris uh-huh. um and that's what i really needed i needed to find somebody that would be able to be that librarian that to, game concierge that game concierge now yeah. for me two places come and we're going to jump right into like the places in the in the pacific northwest that you can kind of get that curation that helper if you would that will kind of guide you grab your hand go look aj not all games are bad okay <laughs> let's focus in washington we might do an expansion of oregon and idaho right for pmw but let's do it let's let's start off in the heart of the state so i spent so we spent um, some time down in bellevue a couple weekends ago for my my wife's birthday hey happy birthday aj's wife and in there is a place called mox boarding house mox boarding house there's two locations one in downtown seattle down by the water and then one in bellevue and that place, you can be that guy like me that's just like, look, I don't, I don't do games. Well, what, what do you like? What, tell me what theme, mm-hmm. what genre do you like? Pirates? Do you like? And they can walk you over and be like, hey, we see that you have a six-year-old. This is actually what you kind of like. And guess what? He'll be able to play it. They you help know? you with a Venn diagram of the ultimate game for you. Exactly, because really, they just want you to play. The other cool thing is, is try before you buy. Because oh. like I mentioned, those games can be like a, a good tabletop game can be like 50 bucks. Uh-huh. And if you're like a video gamer like myself, you don't want to throw like 60 or 70 bucks on a AAA title that isn't really your gaming style. Mox will let you basically check out kind of like a library, a board game, and you can play it right there for free hmm. in the store. They also have a restaurant so you can grab coffee and or in our case, uh, have a little bit of a birthday party right there in the restaurant and store, and it's all around a board game. Very cool. So I, I can't I can't say enough. Like if you're like me and you're just like, oh, board games are boring. Try Mox. Go down there, have lunch, grab a board game, check it out, and and bring your patients along with you as you navigate Interstate 405. 
Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Stop in there <laughs> to if you're get go- to Bellevue, or maybe better, better yet, Chris. Maybe you're on 405, uh, and it, it's like you know 515. Uh huh. Maybe you just pull off in Bellevue and just like wait for two hours. That it's a great place. It's a well, great yes. Place. Or if you really are upset, why don't you go on 405 and go east I 90, okay. headed towards Spokane. So if you're heading east towards Spokane, unfortunately, you're going to lose signal of our our podcast on Camry 102.3 FM. Yeah, they are community powered, and they definitely don't play games uh, at 102.3. FM, but they are all broadcasting all over the darn place. I forgot what my yeah. shtick was like. At KMRE.org, they usually play our show Saturdays, Saturdays at 6 p.m. Something like that. Yeah. There you go. So, but in Spokane. But not in Spokane. Yeah, but in, meanwhile, in Spokane. Because again, going from the west side to the east side, there's a place called Dragon Parlor Games in Spokane Valley. And shout out to Blaine, my, my, my brother-in-law, who uh, knows the owner and proprietors there very well. And we spent a good a good amount of time there and that really kind of opened my eyes to this the subsection of geek culture in gaming because they also have the same shtick as like mocks where you could actually borrow games and they have tables set up and and you can play right there like it was uh-huh. just it was just fun and all that without having a little square app icon on your tablet no no, no notifications no pings no dings all right well let's get let's get off the interstates for a while let's talk about bellingham so heading back north yes so f- downtown uh, there used to be a place called Dark Tower Games, and yep. they rebranded. And I'm going to probably slaughter the name so far. So, so sorry, Aegis Games. Yeah, Aegis, Aegis, Aegis. Yep, potato, uh, potato, 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 potato head, potato head. Yep. Yeah. So at Aegis, they're a little bit different than the other two that I mentioned because unlike the other two, it's not like they're that curator librarian where I can go up and be like, "Hey, this is what I kind of I'm into," um, and you know, can I borrow something? They're more tailored towards like the tabletop, like customizable games like warhammer or like magic and stuff where that customizable group of of folks all right but they do have a good selection of board games there so like here in bellingham that would be the closest thing to like a mox in selection very cool well there's also another place in fairhaven and you got to look around for it okay so i I found myself walking around uh, fairhaven with this rare moment when i actually had some free time available to me what does that look like Uh, it's a rare fleeting occurrence i couldn't tell you but anyway on mckenzie avenue uh in finnegan's alley perhaps i believe there's a place called card haven in Fairhaven and their website we got a link to in the Substack notes there uh, click on it to check out more it's a place to buy cards play games and enjoy a full bar all ages of course i would imagine so therefore Naturally. you know and they have a calendar of events coming up they have a whole lot of debut of games uh, if you will so it's it's and they also have some uh, pinball, I think, according to what? what I saw on the website. I think there's some other games other than just yeah. cards. So anyway, Fairhaven has your hookup if you want to uh, head over out of downtown in there. But I believe they have a whole stock of selection of things available as well. And they're newly opening it, right? Uh, they, yeah, I believe so. They, you know, the wintertime, everything's defrosting from the yeah. COVID frozen winter that we had for uh, retail. But definitely as the weather gets nicer, it's a good place to spend a couple hours and check out. I think you might uh, enjoy it. Okay. So we've we've covered where you can go and and why you might go again. Trying to find that librarian effect to try let's, to let's take the DeLorean back in time a little bit. Yeah, so uh, crank it crank it up there, Marty. Yeah, eighty eight <laughs> miles an hour BCE. So so if you rewind in time, like games were a not just a way of pastime, but they were a method of teaching. So if you look at all the mechanics of the original, the the classic board games, now you might be thinking, oh, chess, that's a really old game. Mm, Not really. It's only a couple of centuries old. If you keep on going back further and further, Chris, pop quiz, what is the oldest, one of the oldest, I can't say the oldest, one of the oldest 
still played board games in existence, right? Yahtzee. Now. Mm, keep going farther back. Uh, how about shoots and ladders? Ooh, actually, you're really close. Snakes and ladders goes all the way back to India, if I recall, and okay. that goes back a couple, uh, quite a bit of centuries. Keep going back. Well, further. since I'm looking at the show notes, I'm going to give up. Why don't <laughs> okay, you tell fine. us what the whole this game so, was? So the, it, there's a lot of argument about it, but the what I usually attribute as the oldest still played board game. Yes, come at me. There's probably going to be comments. Is Mancala? Okay. That's that game where they have the holes yep. and the the little stones that you go in, because there's really no board required you can just literally dig holes in the ground and the premise as i understand it back then was it was a method of teaching math simple mathematics but also uh planting like the whole notion of it is that you're planting seeds in the holes and again back in mesopotamian days or uh ancient african days early civilization early civilization days is what we're talking about here there wasn't a lot of manufacturing you had stones and holes and thus you could teach the principles of uh, uh, agriculture because we have to grow our food Mm -hmm. and to count and also some methods of like seasonality how many months there is and i believe there is some juxtaposition of how many holes are on the board and, and seasons but when we look at all of this especially if you're a parent or if you're if you're an old person like us like you just want to have a good game when you look at what a game offers in an analog mindset, you've got strategy, you've got patience, you have story. And you have to use this other thing that we kind of lose sight with when we have like a, a digital device, imagination. Mm. And that's where, I, like I said, I come back to the librarian and finding a really good book. You can, you can be put off as a reader if you're only offered a, a very sliver of selection when it comes to genres of books. And games are very much the same. If if you broaden your approach, if you think beyond the settlers of Catan or you go beyond that of Yahtzee, you might find yourself really getting into just the imagination. I call it the Jumanji effect. Jumanji the game. And there actually is a, game, a board game mm-hmm. of Jumanji. We have a copy. And the whole principle of it is to just be a little kid again and imagine yourself and whatever the prompt on the board is enacted. One of, Jumanji is one of those games where there's not it's rolling of the dice and moving a piece but the prompts that come up like there's a herd of elephants you have to quickly jump on top of something that isn't the table go like Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where you get to let go a little bit of being an adult or as a kid you get to imagine yourself like oh my gosh there's a bunch of herd of elephants same thing with going into games you have an imagination muscle that you're flexing when you're doing a board game as well as practicing strategy patience and then if you're a kid you're teaching them rules and math at yep. an early age. Yeah, that was one of the things that uh, enhanced my math skills, if you will. Mm. I'm really good at basic math. I bet you at 15s, huh? <laughs> With playing a card games such as Solitaire mm. and Cribbage, which you got to get 15s and other things, the 31 and things like that. I can, I've played this for about 40 years. Yeah. And That's with, four, with my dad. 4D. 4D. 4-0, folks, yeah, not exactly. Yeah, exactly. 40 decades. Um, and so when I look at six cards, I can pick off how many 15s, and I can create 15 out of four cards yeah. or four numbers. That gets you really turbocharged. Plus, playing board games such as Monopoly, as you're dealing with a whole lot of money, cash, you know, I was banker, which gave me a whole lot of math skills. The Game of Life also had some money as well. But getting this is is a great little 
enhancement or augmentation to your kiddo's education mm-hmm. uh, by playing some of these games as opposed to just blowing stuff up on your slab of glowing glass. Exactly. And going back to what you were saying, like um, the, the sh- shoots and ladders are originally snakes yeah. and ladders. The reason, one of the reasons of the story behind snakes and ladders is cause and effect. It's a, it's a juxtaposition of what actually happens in life. So you could be going well and all of a sudden you hit something. How do you recover? Mm. You know, it's one of those things where the game mechanic, although it is very archaic by today's standards of like how we do a board game for a kid, you know, that was all they knew back then is like you either are ascending or a snake is going to have you come back down. And a side benefit if the, if your kiddo or you play it enough Mm -hmm. with a game such as snakes and ladders or shoots and ladders, you learn resilience Exactly. because as you get knocked down the ladder, and you are landing after when you're almost ready to claim victory, and mm-hmm. now you have to climb back up again. You don't really f- get frumpy and going, I don't want to play this anymore. No, you're going to keep going. So from Moncala, let's move forward a little bit. Something that I play a lot, and I've mentioned on the show, is backgammon. Yeah. Backgammon goes all the way back to about 3000 uh, BCE. Okay, and again, there's also an Asian variant name of backgammon. Backgammon, I believe, is the Western version of the name. And the notion of that, again, is the fact that you have dice and you have, you're basically doing a strategy game, but the strategy has to change based off of the variability of what you are given in the dice. And so again, you're, it's, it's moving away from not just Moncala or shoots and ladders, but now the introduction of strategy. And again, as I have a six-year-old, he can actually play backgammon with a level of strategy that he actually can beat me or his mom. And that's, what's interesting about backgammon is chance, Mm -hmm. you know, the variability of what you're able to set up based off a chance. Unlike something like chess goes back to, I think 1600 or uh, right around the time of, I believe cribbage. Yes. Um, and post Magna Carta, if you will, post Magna Carta, uh, chess is a fixed game where you have fixed amount of, of moves, which is why computers were able to emulate it, um, with big blue, you know, back in the day and the chess masters. So again, there's a lot of different structures to the game, but all the mechanics really come down to the same elements. You've got chance, you've got strategy and in today's standards, story and that's really what's going to hook you into a good game sure cribbage which you've you are a a a a whiz at i some sources say i played it a long time i you know when my beautiful wife and i got married uh 13 years ago uh as of this month we uh she had never played cribbage before and as an idea of something to do an activity together here's someone that plays board games enjoys board games but you know from card games and uh, from thinking, because you got to be a little strategic in some aspects as far as what do you give your opponent in their right. crib. It's it's a it's a fun game that I learned how to play it when I was ten mm-hmm. with my dad. I, you know, and if you are twenty nine like my wife, who will always be twenty nine, uh, <laughs> you you are never too old or too young to learn. And well, maybe too young, but anyway, uh, the history we got a little bit of a link about how that goes. But you need to have the knowledge of what would be a good hand to have. You, you can play with two or three or even four, four people. people. So therefore, if you have a couple of kiddos, I remember playing three-person cribbage with my mother and father growing up in which you would get, be dealt five cards instead of six and everyone gives one to the crib 
and after you deal them out, you put one in the crypt. So therefore, you, everyone get four cards mm-hmm. that they're holding. It's it's a it's somewhat strategic in how you are playing the first part, and then the, the second part. Uh, I've just enjoyed the the process. But as we're talking about you know th- these games, we want to be able to get a good quality setup. Um, you can go to the store and buy a travel courage fourteen fifteen bucks or something like that. Yeah. But sometimes, if you really want to treat yourself and have something nice, which improves the enjoyment of the game, the experience, right? Let's talk about backgammon, okay? And or or you know, something. Yeah, yeah. Where would you go, Ager? What is your experience with getting something a little more upscale from the standard Milton Bradley yeah. uh, Hasbro game uh, setup of of that? So part part of this is also like I like to have the ability to bring a game with us, yeah. and so backgammon is easy to travel. Now, a lot of people think of like when you think of checkers, chess or anything with a square board, you get the fold up like little travel ones that are cardboard. Yeah, they're cardboard or they fit in your pocket. So they're hard to move the pieces. Well, what's interesting is there's a lot of independent makers that will make rollout ones. And so there's one I've mentioned them before. There's a rollout one that is made out of leather out of Orcas Island. And a link is in the, the, the sub stack. And that that doesn't get much more Pacific Northwest. Like it's handmade in Orcas Island, out of leather, and you can take this game anywhere with you. Absolutely. absolutely. For Cribbage, you know, uh, funny that we're talking about local, locally produced things. When my wife and I went to Lacana for a day trip and did the whole little touristy thing around all those cool shops, happened to stop by this wood-making place called The Wood Merchant in Lacana. And it, son of a gun, if, I forget if it was for my birthday or for Christmas, but she got me a handmade wooden cribbage board and a little slide out tray where we can store a deck of cards and the thing. So it's self-contained Killer. in a, in, if you picture a typical Bluetooth speaker, you know, the little boxy Bluetooth speaker, not that big, easily transportable with a magnet closure. It's really great. And this, you know, we play maybe two, three times a week. Yeah. And it was just a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful way to spend time together. And, oh, we talk about stuff. Oh, you know, gosh. Heavy topics, work topics, light topics, what do we want to do topics as I'm kicking my wife's butt at cribbage. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Actually, after, after 13 years of this, yeah. like you talked about earlier, it's also a game of chance. Yep. I could have all the knowledge in the world to be able to destroy people with the right cards. But... If Lady Luck ain't with you. Well, yes. And if you aren't given the right cards, such as back in the day, and I, you know, talking about the cribbage scene in Bellingham, there I have fond memories of going to Boundary Bay. Yes, Boundary Bay. Why, you might ask, if, based on previous episodes. Boundary, Boundary Bay Brewing, uh, over there on Railroad Street in downtown Bellingham, the left atrium of Bellingham, I believe, uh, the heart of downtown, that is, uh, hosted... The Whatcom Dispute Resolution Center's formerly annual mm-hmm. Compete for a Cause Cribbage Tournament. It was on a Saturday morning. They got there, you know, they started around 9 a.m. And there were a whole lot of people that would sign up, pay the entrance fee, which would go to the Dispute Resolution Center. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, hi, Ms. Moonwater. Hi, Ms. Um, Moonwater. A former alumnus of the Community Connections Conversation the Series. Series here yeah. at the Billion Podcast. Uh, it was last held in 2019, so COVID kind of, you know, thwapped it. But anyway, I would... Got knobs on it. Got knobs. Thank you very much. AJ will be here all week. Uh, there's just it was it, when you're around a community, and that's also something you might experience in these gaming venues exactly. that you would go to. There was uh, 60, 70, 80, 100 people maybe. They had wow. a lot of a lot of players that would play games of cribbage. You know, random pairings, and then depending on how you won your Turning three style. games, yeah, and then it would go into the tournament single elimination. 
One year, I got up to the quarterfinals, Ooh. and uh, you know, I just had the cards with me, uh, and so that I would love to see come back. However, for current times, Menace Brewing in town. Now, keep in mind, folks, if you want a uh, non-drankery place to play cribbage, and you're interested in learning. Try to find me on the web, and if you can contact me, I'm more than happy to meet you somewhere in a in a non-drankery place and teach you the fundamentals of cribbage. Right on. That's my community outreach, uh, you know. And I won't destroy you right off the bat. I'll just <laughs> kind of show you the fundamentals. But anyway, uh, Menace Brewing in town has Wednesday night cribbage nights where you can learn how to play, uh, and then also they have other events as well. So that's something to think about if you want to have a drink. But for those of you who may not be wanting to do that, there are other options. Coffee shops, I've seen a whole lot of other places. You know, um, there's, a, there's a grocery store chain in town that has food courts. And therefore, you know, if you spend a, it's about a 20, 25 minute uh, game time frame. Sure. Great way to spend some time. I'm a big fan of cribbage, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> However, let's talk about card games. Okay. So in card game, like, like we're talking about, we, I figure we would start with portability yeah. and then like sitting down, right? Right. Because... Obviously, if you've got a deck of cards and a board with some pegs, that's super easy to, to bring with you. And, you know, like you said, find community or share in the gameplay. Because yeah. outside of Solitaire, there's not a lot of good single player games, really. So um, I put this game under card games because it's the size of a deck of cards. And it's called Deep Sea Adventure, but it's actually a tabletop type of board game. So I kind of snuck it in. Okay. For the same size as a deck of cards, this box has a bunch of little pieces, um, some wooden people that are called meeples. And, meeples? Yeah, meeples. Okay. And a little board of a submarine. And what you are, are you are deep sea divers. And the game goes like this. You roll... And then you can move your little diver deeper and deeper. The deeper you go, the more treasure you might be able to find. However, the little ticker in the submarine, every time that you pick up treasure, you have to move the ticker for everybody else who are divers. Hmm. So the thing is, you can get more more uh, treasure the deeper you go, but you might not be able to make your way back. So it's it's a game that shows, does greed pay off as a treasure seeker? Or do you play the safe bet to get as much as you can in the beginning and then kind of screw the other divers because you've already got your your gold and you're sitting in the ship? About how many people would you say would be a good amount? Uh, is this for two, for we, four? We for played many? this up to five people. Okay. Yeah. So but so for the same, uh, same price as a deck of cards, you can find board games that will mm. fit in your pocket. Very good. Uh, so, uh, the, the next game I've got is, uh, what's called here to slay. Now here's here to the, slay, like slayer, the slay. band. Yeah. Yes. No slay as in like going one, against dragons one horse open sleigh. No. no, actually that's funny. That's an expansion. Oh. They have here to slay S E L E I. Oh, that's kind of cute. I didn't even so, know I made it funny. So here the slay is one of those games for a card game. If you're like me and you're like, I don't get this whole hullabaloo over magic, the gathering, but you like the story that in the art on the cards type of things. That's how I was as a kid. Well, Here to Slay is basically prefab. All of the art is really cute animals that are adventurers. Hmm. And you have basically a, a leader card, which is a different animal and a different um, sect in the, in the game. So it could be a warrior or a wizard or whatever. And the name of the game is basically to slay three monsters. You win. Or if you get all six of the, the different kind of guilds that are the characters, you win the game. So there's two avenues of winning, but you have to pay attention to who has the different cards because they have different actions. I see. So it's a combination of 
a board and card game. Well, I got a card game for y'all, and this one is better, best played with maybe kiddos mm. and with a number of people. So you can have, you know, I played this with uh, four, with six. It's a it's a fun time for not just with kiddos, but also with grownups. This one's called Poetry for Neanderthals. Ugh. Exactly. And so the object of this game, got a link to it if you want to uh, get more. Ugh. You get a card and you have to communicate or you get a person to say, you got a, like a little egg timer. Uh, a minute or whatever the, the time frame is in the in the egg timer uh, or the sand timer hourglass that's it <laughs> but it's not an hour it's like a minute or so what is an egg timer what am i talking about <laughs> anyway it's been a long day uh you have to communicate as many words as you can but you can only use one syllable words Ugh. to exactly to describe it and the thing is if you take a look at what most of our Lexicon and our dialogue consist of it's lexicon. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm using three syllable words on a regular basis. If you use something other than a one syllable word, poetry for Neanderthals contains a blow up caveman (laughs) club that your opponent can thwap you on wherever body part they want to. Yeah, exactly. I get hit on my shoulder a lot because people are wise not to hit me on the head uh, when I say (laughs) multiple syllable words. And then you have to discard that and then pick up the next card. And so the winners, after a certain amount of rounds with how many words you get the other person to say. Can't say podcast. Thwap. But uh, poetry for Neanderthals is a pretty pretty cool game. So yeah. Uh, One one thing I want to at least make mention of, single folks out there. Doesn't matter whom, uh, never married, divorced, widowed, whatever. If you happen to meet someone and you're wondering, where do I, what, what do I do for a date night to get to know mm-hmm. someone? It doesn't have to be the formal uh, 70s, 80s dinner, drinks, et cetera, et cetera. What if you were to find a location that uh, would pro, you know, enable this and brought a game that could be fun, such as you know, something for two, yeah. uh, and learn together, or you can introduce someone to this game and then play. You get to know the person if they're hyper competitive like me. Yep. And yet, my still my beautiful wife still married me. Uh, <laughs> or you can get to know you know. And what a nice way to kind of break down the stigma involving meeting someone. Yeah. It's a great idea for an activity to do uh, on a on a d- date or a, a time to hang out. Plus, as soon maybe four months from now, when the weather actually gets nice around here. Uh, go outside on a picnic table and uh, give that a try. Speaking of picnic tables, let's still talk about tabletop games. So tabletop games are, is really what kind of turned the tide for me because it got like me... Like deep sea uh, adventure? Exactly, exactly. Is because, again, the, the notion of it is the story and what the game mechanics play within the story. And so uh, with our son, the, the, the game outside of Dragonwood, which I've mentioned on the show lots of times, the, the, the tabletop game that really kind of turned the tide for us is a game called Sea of Clouds. Now, I've got a link in the show notes to the, the, the actual Drink. Uh, to the trailer. And that's the other thing that I found interesting in this culture is that board games, just like a triple A title for, a, for the PlayStation or the Xbox, will get a trailer. And it shows like the art, maybe the story of the game, maybe some of the the gameplay of it. And it is like action packed, where you know it's like in this case you're 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 you're, you're sailing uh, in the clouds, your your skyships, as it were, Arr. and your pirates, Arr. and you have cards, matey, and you have a pirate parrot that we call pirate parrot Pete in our family, but. 
uh, what's interesting is is that like the art is beautiful, and a six year old really gets into it because he really likes pirates. There you go. I bet a thirty six year old would also get into it too in oh, the right circumstance. Anybody that we show this for, it's good for a game of uh, for four players. And if you're into pirates, this is the this is the game to go for. Everybody that we've ever introduced to loves it. Something you said about um, dates yes. and uh, bringing a, a game. It's best, in my opinion, if you're going to do that, know the game. A little bit before you go because a lot of these tabletop games if you are reading it for the first time there is a lot of rules and mechanics that suck a lot of time certainly and can definitely put a damper in the mood of playing a game that's true uh we also want to keep in mind that you may not want to have uh your little try to explain the rules because (laughs) some littles and i'm not naming any in particular may make up rules as they go Uh uh because uh based on how they would want to win or something like that anyway let's move on the other one that i want to throw out is um it's a it's it's a european based game called diamond and now here in the united states you won't find it by that name it's actually called ink and gold here in the u.s Hmm. And it's the same game, same mechanic, two different art styles. And I have links in the show notes for both. Drink. The, okay, in the substack for both. There you go. That's more like it. Uh, Diamond is the one that we, we prefer because of the art style and the way that the game kind of plays out. And that's something else I want to kind of point out is it, a lot of these games are marketed worldwide and the art changes based off the culture. Okay. Kind of like backgammon, where mm-hmm. backgammon is the kind of the Western version, and I'm gonna have to look it up. I should like edit in like what the name of the 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 Asian version back in the uh, go. No go. Uh, uh, actually, I believe backgammon predates go. Okay, cool. Um, but in the same what vein, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, diamond is another one. If you're into action adventure, like Scooby Gang level action adventure, trying to go into a cave to get treasure and make your way back out. Well, it sounds like the Goonies. Yeah, basically it is. It's very much Goonies. All right. Well, that if that doesn't sell people on it as well, I don't know what else will. Hey, uh, podcast Goonies never say die. That's right. So the last one that I want to throw out is, and you mentioned something else about uh, kind of the psychology of games, and that is to win. Hmm. Now, something I do on a regular basis every time I play. And that's what's funny is, is that a lot of the again when I was kind of shifting my mindset away from closet clutter of of board games and stuff to these type of games is not all games are designed for an individual to win there are co-op games okay and so this is one that really kind of uh game right is a uh, the game company behind uh dragonwood and dragon realm that i've mentioned before forbidden island they have forbidden island forbidden desert and forbidden something else there's a lot of forbiddenness in in this game company um is a co-op game where you are crashed on a mysterious island there's a pilot engineer and all this other. You, you each have a role and the name of the, the game is to get these four chalices and to put together either your ship or whatever and get off the island or out of the desert safe. It's reverse survivor. It's reverse survivor. You have to work together. Okay. And you have different uh, different elements of like the pilot can do certain things and sure. so on and so forth. Everyone's got skill sets. Exactly. And so again, going back to like Mancala and uh, kind of the history behind games, it shows like you're again you're playing a role and it matches up with a life skill like if you only have these skills this is what you're really good at and Mm -hmm. such so forbidden island if you were into co-oping 
that would be a game that I would look at. Hey, uh, don't look now, folks, but we just gave you about 10 recommendations for games, analog games, to uh, check out, if not give a try. And if you have been, uh, if you have experience or are veterans in cer- certain games, ways to level up your the hardware that you're playing with or the the fundamentals uh, of the of the equipment that you're playing. So this has been this has been pretty fun. But I think we got to go to something even more fun. Oh yes, my favorite part of every episode: quality assurance. These picks are picked for you by AJ Barze and Chris Bell for your quality assurance. You go first. All right, sounds good. Well, uh, since we're talking about games, there's a documentary that came out in 2017, pre-COVID, because that's how we, you know, it's kind of like BCE was a, a, a yep. del- delineator between prehistoric. Yeah. yeah. We, we have like pre-COVID and post-COVID. Uh, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. 2017, there was a documentary that came out and it was called The Perfect Bid. Now, if you're an old person like me, some of you may not be as old as me, but you may have remembered a game show on television, usually on CBS, for the, called The Price is Right. Ah, oh, The Price is Right. For decades, there's a fellow by the name of Bob Barker that Hi, was the, coast and, uh, the host of it, and they had these uh, items up for bid. And, and contestants would be bidding on how much it would be, and if they, whoever guessed the closest would come up on stage and... Uh, play Come on a, down. A game. Well, yeah, that's that's actually to join contestants row. And then if they got the right or closest bid, then they would go up on stage and try to win something of a more value prize. There's a guy by the name of Theodore Slauson. And Theodore Slauson in the 70s was like a math teacher and, you know, was a math aficionado. And in the, he, he started watching The Price is Right a lot. And notice that the same type of refrigerator and the same type of blender uh, were used in, in there and happened to notice that they were the same prices. And he compiled a spreadsheet of all of the brands, the appliance or whatever items they had up for bid, the features and options and the price. Mm-hmm. And he memorized them. And... He was in the studio audience for a number of episodes, never got called on stage. But as part of the game in The Price is Right, for those of you who haven't seen it, when the contestant, the four contestants are trying to get as close to the bit as possible, everyone would try to shout numbers all at the same time to you know, help them out. And when it was quiet, he would give the actual price on a repeated basis and the contestants were looking at him and, and then they were trying to follow him and the, and Bob Barker noticed this and all of a sudden he started getting a little bit known. Finally he came on stage and the documentary is telling a really nice story. I'm not going to tell you how it ends because once spoilers, you know, there's a twist at the end, Ooh. but as far as watching someone who really took the game and it's not like card counting in blackjack or right. like in a casino, right. but you are memorizing things. Mm-hmm. Are you gaming the game? Exactly. It's an excellent documentary. It's called The Perfect Bid. Uh, check it out. You know, uh, check it out on your uh, Google search or whatever web search you duck duck go search it. Uh, you should see something like that. AJ. So for me, uh, is I've got Game Master. Now this was made during the pan, or I think it, it was produced during the pandemic. So I haven't seen it yet. So this is one of the first quality assurance. So I have not pre-screened it, but Ooh. it's on my documentary list. And it's basically about you know the the rise of game uh, the, the tabletop culture that we're seeing independent uh, game makers like uh, for instance the uh, Unstable Games who is the creators of uh, Here to Slay they also did like Rad Unicorns or something like something about unicorns I don't know their other game <laughs> um, but the, uh, this 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 uh, documentary kind of walks you through a little bit of the the history like for instance Settlers of Catan I made that reference earlier yep. really kind of kicked off the 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 cross-atlantic 
um, hype of uh, tabletop games from the from Europe over here to the United States in a postmodern era. In a postmodern era, this is uh, late seventies. Also, they kind of go into like how Dungeons and Dragons and that whole realm also kind of brought in again this notion of storytelling within the game mechanic as well that was kind of lacking in the days of Mancala through like chess and stuff. So um, I haven't. I, I, it's on my watch list, folks. But I wanted to put it on your watch list if you're a gamer like Chris Powell and myself. That's right. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up this episode of the Bellingham Podcast. What button do I push? Is this button? Nope, not that button. That button? Nope, yeah, that's the button. That's the button right there. There you go. That wraps it up for this 220th edition of the Bellingham Podcast. Thank you again so much for listening to us, rating us, reviewing us, wherever you like to get our podcast. Remember, if you're in the Bellingham area, playing a board game or not, you might be listening to us on KMRE 102.3 FM. They are streaming all over the darn place at KMRE.org on your internet browser of choice. Ooh, and on that note, Game on, everyone. I'm AJ Barsay. And I'm Chris Powell. Thanks once again for joining us on the Bellingham Podcast. So where's the vengeance come in? Uh, the vengeance is coming next episode when we talk about using paper and pen. We're going to write angry letters. Ooh.